The Money Show. Other people's money. On a Monday night, we invite somebody who is a household name to come and talk to us about money and what they think about money, how they treat money. Tonight, I'm going to introduce you to somebody who you will know very well from your super sports screen, but there is something about them I almost am willing to bet if I was a betting kind of guy, you did not know about them. Uh, Onungumani panel-beated opposition rugby players <laughs> for years and in 2017 opened up his own panel-beater shop. You didn't know that about Onungumani, did you? Owen, welcome to The Money Show. Good to have you with us this evening. Um, it's been a long time since you played a, a, a rugby game, I don't want to say in anger, but with intent. Um, but uh, you've the super sporters. Uh, you've settled into super sport very, very comfortably, haven't you? Yeah, very good evening, Bruce. Firstly, thanks for the invite. Very uh, surprised that you invited me. Why? Yeah, it's still... a... <laughs> I'm Don't a normal guy, Bruce. You know, I'm, I'm the guy. I'm just like a local. You're that kid, guy. Man. Gotcha. And I'm just that guy. You know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, 2017. Uh, me and my brother started um, a. a auto body shop, you know, looking to get involved in the motor space. And, and the idea was, you know, it needs to turn. So it's, it's a long-term thing. Uh, we're looking 10, 20 plus years, and, and that's where we're trying to position ourselves. Uh, it hasn't been easy, uh, but it's been, been good. Some tough learnings, and uh, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Thank goodness South Africans are terrible drivers. So, I mean, you've got an in- income stream in, in perpetuity. Is, you, is your brother is your brother the, the panel beater? Does he know about the auto body work? It's not something that you've ever studied. It's not something that you've ever done, is it? Not at all. I mean, it's, you know, the, the industry has changed so much. Uh, a lot of tradesmen back in the past started their own shops. But now it's as good as any business. You know, I always ask the question, um, Alex Ferguson, you know, how many goals he scored for Man United? And people turn uh, around and, and the, the, I get exactly the exact same silence. What? And then, what? I say, then I say, always surround yourself with people who know more than you. The uh. biggest thing is just managing those and putting them in the limelight. And, and that's how you build businesses. That's how it, it's a teamwork. Nobody is an expert on their own. Always surround yourself with those that know more than you. Uh, you you're fortunate enough to be a leader in a space. And you just manage those people, and they'll make you look good. Um, uh, yeah, uh, the, I'd have a big room <laughs> with, with lots of people in it. There'd be no social distancing um, because there'd be too many people. Take me back, please, in history. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Uh, Bruce, born and bred in Soweto. Um, yeah, that, that's that's where I that's where I'm from. You know, uh, yeah, from day one. Uh, I understand concrete, uh, <laughs> the streets. Yeah, and that, that's yeah. what I understand. Um, uh, how did you crack the nod to get to St. John's College, one of the most elite schools in South Africa? You uh, you went to the prep, you played uh, cricket in prep and football in prep, and then um, the rugby bug bit when you got to the college as an under-14. But take me through that uh, story, if you would. Yeah, so it was during the uprising in Soweto when the schooling system was all interrupted. Um and there was a lot of movement to trying to get kids to to the private schools. I mean, you take it back. I think Sacred Heart was the first one to to allow a non-white student. We're talking maybe 79, 80. St. John's was also there. I think the first African guy was also like 79, 78. And, and as, it's from that, you know, my dad made a conscious effort. Uh, and I went, I mean, I wrote Tessets and Davids and Martins, um, some of the CBC schools. And St. John's was the last one. Um, 
and then some of them, some of those schools I never got in. And St. John's was the last one. Uh, me and my brother got into uh, into the school, and, and that's how it came about. I think at the time, the year before that, uh, eighty six, my sister went to St. Barnabas. There was a movement there. A lot of black kids sending their kids there in Bosman, and and that's how I ended up at St. John's. But you know, my first interaction with St. John's came. 1980, 1981, you know, I must be the five, six-year-old boy uh, as an altar boy. And, and and so I went to a church in Rockville. And once a year, uh, around December, around this time, when all the servers basically got a little Christmas pod, we'd actually go to St. John's and play soccer, uh, have a little picnic. And, and that was my first interaction with, with the school was through the church, the Anglican church. And that's how we you know, fell in love with the buildings, I suppose, and Jeez. got very fortunate to 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 be accepted at the school. My my dad's also got another story, and then how he <laughs> how he got me to the school. Um, funny enough, so when my daughter trying to get my daughter to a school, my dad told me, he said, "Listen, this is how I did it. You're even in a better space than I am. Um, basically, just get off the bat and and then drive to the school." And then just asked them. And then, so that's how he got into St. John's. He didn't fill any forms. He drove there and they said to him, have you got a meeting with the headmaster? He says, no. I want my kids to come to the school. And they said, he says, no, but I'll wait. And he waited. And then from then on, you know, we got the, <laughs> we, we, you know, we got the, um, the date to come right there, the, the, the entry test. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I, I, re I remember as a five-year-old sitting on those stands watching my brothers play rugby on that field, uh, on the first team field, and just turning around and looking at these majestic sandstone buildings, which were so, they were th four times bigger in those days because you're that much smaller. But you had an extraordinarily successful career, um, as one would expect at St. John's, and you were in the first 15 for two years, 93, 94, as captain. Um, and, I mean, you've got the record of, of Whipping Paul Boys High, which is very rare for any captain of any school in the world. Never mind um, in South Africa; they're they're a tough rugby school. Um, you 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 also were were capable cricket player, and um, you matriculated in '94. You, you captain St John's College rugby team. You then get selected to join the Springboks, and and everybody knows that story. But you've also now been honoured, and this must be absolutely enormous. I mean, by your old school. Um, they've now got, you know, a, a, a memorial to you in your, in your lifetime um, as a permanent sort of fixture at, at, at St. John's College. Um, and they, they treat you uh, as a pioneer, um, uh, which I think you are. Do you see yourself as a, as a pioneer? It's, 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 a, it's a heavy uh, title to accept, Bruce. Uh, so for me, as... Be true to yourself. Do the right thing. The rest will follow. I mean, this is one of the things that we all picked up as kids. Um, and, and, and how I got into that mindset as well was, you know, growing up as a teen, you, you, you'd get into trouble and my dad would get a phone call from the school. And he sat me down once and he says, whatever you do from now on, you take full responsibility. Good or bad, there'll be repercussions. So you must decide which way you want to go. And... Um, yeah, you know, I'm, 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 as I said, I went on every day trying to do the best as I, as I can, as I could. And um, that was a result of it, you know, being honored by the St. John's community. Um, but, it, but it's bigger than that, you know. I think that just makes a statement for any kid, regardless where they come from. When they hear the story, when they find out what is this terrace all about, then they'll realize that anything is possible. And I say this again because, you know, a lot of people walk into that space as broken souls. And I, and I, throw, I use that very loosely. 
nobody walks into the building as an expert in something. And, and that's what St. John's was back in the day, and I still hope it is. I know they're very academic at the time. But it was open arms to regardless where you came from. And you walk out there fully trained, body, mind, and character. And that's key. And you know, I think, you know, as much as the world has changed and, and we're all about uh, whatever, the goalposts in any organization keeps changing. And, and, and I think this year's head boys, I mean, head boy, I heard, I heard his speech. I thought Sazi's speech spot on. You know, he talks about his journey walking to the school and, and hearing his speech now as a young man, you can tell it's a totally different kid. He can go in any space where he wants to go. Um, and that's the beauty of, of, of being privileged and being honored and, and being lucky enough to, to, to have come through that school. Did you appreciate the magnitude of the experience of not only a private school, but uh, uh, of going to a St. John's College at the time when you were in it? So often um, when you're in it, it's normal. Um, and it's just going to school, and you know, t- some teachers are a pain, some kids are a pain. You, you know, you, <laughs> it, it's just it, it's it's the regular experience. Did you appreciate the the huge opportunity that was being afforded to you at the time? Yeah, absolutely. As I said, I mean, my first interaction with the school was as a five six year old, uh, and 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 being fortunate enough to to get in that space, and uh, and, and and the thing as well is is you know they had wanted two guys who were older than me who came from the same community who were at the school. So so there was people to look up to. Um, yeah, and, and I was fortunate enough, you know, the sport, the cultural part. And by the way, I got kicked out of the choir twice, so tells you about my... With that voice, you. you must have been bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. No, no. <laughs> no, very bad. <laughs> so, so Bruce, yeah, I, d- I did appreciate it. And also, you know, back in the, in the day, I'm talking early 90s, 80s, the community, when I say community, especially coming from Soweto, there was so much expected of you because it was drilled into you that you are privileged, you are very fortunate, you don't waste the opportunity, you are never entitled. I mean, one of the funny stories is, I mean, I, 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 I think most of us used taxis back in the day and you know, trying to compare that with my kids today is totally different. When I went to a sporting fixture as a prep school boy, you know, I was a board in the high school, uh, I would never have to queue carrying my cricket bag at the taxi rack. So the taxi marshals recognize that this is what this kid is doing. And when he comes in on a Saturday, he's not going to stand in the queue because he's got somewhere to go. So there was a big community involvement regardless who you were, where you came from. And, and, and I mean, that's, we took it for granted at the time. But, you know, they, they realized that, well, this kid needs to do something every time on a Saturday. He comes, you know, by 7 o'clock, he'll be here. And I'll never have to stand in a queue at all when I was carrying my cricket bag. It's a wonderful story. Owen and Kumane, don't go away. I want to talk to you about money in a moment. Former rugby player, of course, presenter at Supersport, uh, co-owner of a business with his brother in, in the auto body sector. So he's an entrepreneur as well as Owen and Kumane. We'll talk to him more about this in a moment. That was a surprise. <laughs> I would this news team is that a collective heart attack. Oh, my goodness me. Sorry about that news. Um, Owen Kumani is with us this evening. He is our guest on Other People's Money on this Monday evening. You grew up in a, in a very privileged environment at St. John's College, Owen. I mean, you were surrounded by kids from um, you know all over the country, from all over Africa, I'm sure, by the time you matriculated. Um, and there was a lot of money thrown about at the time. Did you, did you feel like you fitted into that environment? Were you comfortable in that environment? 
Yes, I said, Bruce, we're very comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I had something to offer. I think I was part of the community. And there were guys who came from Soweto, so it wasn't really alien as such. Um, but also the guys never flaunted their money. I think it was frowned upon, even if today. I mean, I know schools and spaces have changed. I mean, those that flaunt their money just, just don't fit in. You know, they, they'll get by, sure. They'll finish their 12 years, whatever, but they just don't fit in. Mm. Um, were you well schooled in money? Um, you know, were, did you get good lessons around the dinner table at home, talking about investments, uh, talking about businesses? You and your brother have gone into business together now. Um, w- w- was there lots of talk about money at home? No, not at all. I mean, we, we come from an era whereby, you know, kids must be seen, not heard. Uh, you could only ask one or two questions, not all of them. And uh, not at all. Um, no, but I think just the, the attitude towards it, whereby, um, he's, uh, you know, from from my mom, keep everything under the radar. I think I think that was it. You know, um, keep your stuff private, um, and just they never showed that they did they, they did not they, they never had enough. But as kids, they always made sure we we got what we needed, not always what you wanted. But it, it, it that's that's how we we understood money. And also back in the day, everything was quite open. You know, you you'd be given chores and then let's go do shopping and and you got to look after you got to make sure the change is, is is correct when you come back anybody could send you to the to the shop to go buy them whatever if they're older so you that's how you my first interaction with money was from the community itself and the family but you know the, the father next door could just scream out my name and then say listen i need to go buy bread and milk and yeah those bub club next door i mean he was an old man and he, he would send us to the shops and we've got to make sure his change is, is correct. So first interaction of money was that. A really important life lesson there as well about integrity and treating other people's money as theirs and understanding the value of personal property and the integrity of not only doing the job, but ensuring that the change came back. And it's a, it, it seems tiny, I suppose, in retrospect, but it's one of those fundamental building blocks of, of, of trust and partnerships into the future. Absolutely. And the guys who never brought, brought back the change, <laughs> they got a proper whipping. So you didn't want to be part of that setup. Uh, and then I mean, you'd be labeled a tortsy and all sorts. And um, No, but that's I mean, the thing. Uh, that's the most, that's the most yeah. powerful thing. I mean, the whipping is you know, not, not great. Nobody wants to be whipped. Um, but the, the, the reputational issues that come with um, being asked to look after somebody else's money is, is substantial. Yes, yeah, spot on. And also, I mean, my, my parents were blue collar. So, I mean, if there was something in the community, people would come ask for for help and, and, and you know, at times money. Uh, I mean, back in the 80s, and I'll say this the way it was said, you know, um, the older generation will understand. Ipasela. So, Ipasela would mean anything. It would mean you would receive, you'd take it. So, that would be cash. It could be, it could be food. It could be anything. So the older people never tell you what's in the package. You just got to make sure it gets there. And now and again, you go pick up. Now and again, you go get, You have to go take it. And that's how, and the stock fell was quite big as well. You, you know, you, you learned how money worked based on the stock fells. Um, and I mean, growing up, there was uh, my mom and, and her sisters had a stock field and they called it Imalia Bafaz and it came out every Jan. And that money used to make sure everybody's got school uniform, the books and everything. That's all it was there for. So the relationship with money that you you know you've got to save if, to spend you you've got to have a bit and there's some things that are more important than other things. So, I mean, it's like growing up. We never bought Christmas clothes. 
we never understood it because it was just the day. So you'd wear whatever slops you had, your T-shirt, whatever, not because you couldn't afford it. My mom would say, but, you know, I buy you clothes throughout the whole year. You know, you've got your summer clothes, your winter clothes. Christmas is just a normal day. Yes, this family have lunch, do whatever. But that's, but in Jan, that's that you say you say you say you didn't get uh, grow up with money lessons and stuff. But it strikes me that <laughs> mum and the stork fell were instrumental in teaching value of money. No, extremely, extremely. Uh, I mean, so when I got my first job, I mean, I got my first job as a 16-year-old during during this time, actually, during Christmas holidays. And the Bruce, the reason I got the job is because I went looking for it wearing a St. John's uniform. There was four or five of us, and we got to this uh, department store, and the head of HR was a St. John's guy. And basically, we didn't have to do anything after that. And I kept that job all the way to Varsity. Um and even then, so so my first paycheck I had to take home, and they said, "Oh well, you know, they took a bit of out. They gave me the most of it, said you you could do whatever." And as a six-year-old, I'm sure, I, you know, I made sure that I could go to the movies, odds and ends like that, buy lots of sweets and and things like that. Nothing really, you know, tangible as such, but they 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 took uh, a good percentage, you know, of of that money. And hey, that's the way the world works. Onu Kumani, thank you for sharing with us this evening. Um, and thank you for telling us the stories. And I think mum was instrumental, really instrumental. Um, and the Stockfell was in- instrumental as well. Stockfells, I think, must be a great learning ground um, for understanding collaborative efforts with money, understanding trust um, and who you do trust and who you don't trust and how to save and put money away for things that are so flippant necessary. Thank you, Onu Kumani, this evening for sharing your stories about money.